This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. This is episode 89 of Play by Playcast. Thanks as always for the stream, the download, the listen to a podcast for play by play broadcasters about play by play broadcasters. Hosted by Play by Play Broadcaster. It's a professional development podcast diving into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play by play announcers in the business. And you can find us on social media. The podcast is at PXPCast. And my handle is at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D. My email is J-G-O-D-E-T-T at B-S-U dot E-D-U. J-Godet at B-S-U for Ball State University dot E-D-U. Our guest today is Eric Hasseltine. He is the voice on radio of the Memphis Grizzlies, and he's been such since 2005. And we'll talk a little bit about Uh, His early rise in sports broadcasting, Eric is from California, went to college in California, started his career in California, and uh, did a bunch of different, uh, we'll we'll talk about some odd jobs uh, that that broadcasters have at different points in their lives, um, in addition to being a, a broadcaster and a radio voice, but really since he moved from California, uh, he's been really stable since 2005, so what is that now, 13 years, um, Eric's been with the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, actually, even before that, he he went to the Memphis Grizzlies um, before he became the voice as a pregame, postgame talk show guy, and then took over in 2005 under, I mean, honestly, some really tragic circumstances. Don Poyer uh, was his predecessor with the Grizzlies, and uh, Don actually passed away mid-season on the road uh, when he was the voice of the Grizzlies, and Eric being the next man up I mean you hate to say right place right time but being in the right place at the right time being the next man up um, filled in for Don and then with the blessing of Don's wife Don's wife basically saying he would want it to be you uh, decided that that he was going to stick around and and apply for the job uh, after the season and, and when it became open again um, heading into the the next season, he, he applied for the job and, and did wind up getting it. And we'll get into that uh, that story and that process a little bit. But really, ever since then, Eric Hasseltine has been the voice of the Memphis Grizzlies. So after climbing his way up through his early days in California, he then made the trip to Memphis and since then has been associated with the Grizzlies. Lots to talk with Eric Hasseltine about, so we will dive right into it. The voice of the Memphis Grizzlies. Grew up in California listening to Bill King. That was his idol as a Bay Area guy. So where else do we start our conversation? But where Eric started in sports broadcasting. His influence, or his influencer, Bill King. Well, you know, as a kid, this was before we had 200 channels of cable and satellite TV and you know there was like 40 games a year baseball wise televised so radio really was the medium where you got a lot of sports uh, basketball was rarely televised in fact you know back then the, the finals were even tape delayed so uh, 
radio was where you heard it. And I just remember having a little radio in my room and listening to Bill King and Lon Simmons on A's games. And Bill King also did the Raiders and did the Warriors. You know, at one point he held all three major jobs. And I just, I I thought it was great to listen to and and see the picture. And, you know, growing up, you always want to be a player. You want to be, you know, dream of hitting a home run in the World Series or, you know, making a big shot. And you, you just, as a kid, you don't realize how hard it is to get to that level. Um, so when I realized that I probably, not probably, I was not going to be that good, I, uh, I, I just decided in high school to, to kind of focus on where I could be around the game. And uh, that was one way to do it. I was fortunate that at my high school, we had a television studio there. So I took broadcasting classes in high school and my senior year, as much as I would have loved to have been on the basketball team, I was at a school where we had three guys on that team go on to play uh, some level of professional basketball, two in the NBA, and another you know, was a last cut in an NBA, uh, in an NBA summer camp. So uh, we were pretty good. And so I decided that uh, I would try to do my hand to play-by-play with the television studio there. And we got to do one game before <laughs> – uh, St. Mary's College, who's got a pretty good basketball team of their own right, uh, called for their TV cameras back. So um, <laughs> they they loaned them to us, and then two of theirs broke, and they said, well, we need those back. So we couldn't televise any more games. But it was fun, and I, I fell in love with it, uh, realized that it was something I was interested in, but didn't quite chase it down my first couple of years of college. Uh, when I transferred from UC Riverside to UC Davis, I happened to be working with a guy who was doing a, a sports talk radio show. And I said, you know, I'd love to come on and try my hand at that. And luckily enough, he called me during the springtime and said, Hey, I need a guy that can talk about baseball. Come on in. And I, I loved baseball and still do. And went in and, and, you know, knocked it out of the park, I guess, because they kept me around. And uh, about a year later, I was the sports director and had to hire a play-by-play guy. So I looked in the mirror and I said, you're hired. And now <laughs> the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, you know, you mentioned painting the picture, and that's kind of what you loved uh, early. And I thought what was interesting when you were talking about Bill King in the interview I saw also uh, was that he really painted a picture. Uh, yeah. What's what's that mean to you when you talk about painting a picture beyond just the who has the ball and where it is? But but what do you like to do that you think helps paint a picture um, and, and kind of, I don't, don't want to say makes you stand out, but, but makes what you do something that people can latch on to? Well, and, and that's the, the best compliment somebody can pay a play-by-play guy on the radio, I think, because TV is just a different world. You know, the, the picture's there. You don't have to paint the picture, and you have to be less verbose, and you have to really pick and choose your spots. Um, and it's a, it's a whole different skill set. So those guys are really, really good at what they do. And I just think when you're on radio, you have to remember a couple of things. You have to remember that you are the audience's eyes and ears. You are the one telling them what's happening. So for me, and again, it goes, you know, going back to the Bill King thing, what I thought he did better than anybody I had ever heard was describe what was happening during the play. And yeah, it's, I'd say that anybody can, you know, can, can give space and, and location of the ball, but, you know, tell your audience instead of being on the left wing that he's on the, you know, beyond the three point line, or if, if someone's coming to set a screen, let them know that the screen's coming. Um, you know, things like that, just little things. And, you know, you have to remember in the midst of that, too, to give time and score. You know, I got a Twitter message from a guy the other day because I was 
harping on the NBA's all-star coverage that I had literally zero idea who was, um, <laughs> who was on the halftime show. And so, um, and he said, well, you know, time and score, you got to be better about that. And I, I try to be as militant about that as I possibly can. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just painting the whole thing, you know, where the ball is, who's got the ball, what the play is developing to do. And so, you know, the, the biggest mistake I think sometimes we make on, on radio broadcasts is we try to say too much. You know, you don't have to describe every single second as long as you give, you know, the location. People know the ball's moving, and, and you just can't talk sometimes fast enough with the ball moving. So I think, you, you know, you pick and choose your spots where you maybe give a little bit more description, a little less exactness, if you get what I mean. Like, you don't have to say – you know, the 47 passes and all these things, you know, but more so who has the ball, what's the score, how the play is developing, that kind of thing, I think gives the audience an idea of what's happening. That was one thing I was going to ask was with the NBA uh, and how quickly it moves sometimes. How do you keep pace yeah. with it and, and picking and choosing the right things to say of what you see? Well, it helps to, you know, I, I've been a fan of the game since I was a kid. You know, I, I, I grew up loving Dr. J, you know, it was either Dr. J or magic or Larry bird that people generally, you know, were fans of. And so listening to, you know, again, Bill King do the Warriors games and then, you know, watching Dick Stockton and Tommy Heinsohn call, you know, CBS games. I just understand what, what's happening in the game, having loved to play it. I've been fortunate to be around some really good coaches over my years, been involved in enough practices where, I can kind of see what they're trying to do. And, um, you know, I was lucky. I, when, I, when I got into calling play-by-play, I had two amazing coaches at UC Davis that treated me like I was part of the team. You know, our football coach was a guy named Bob Biggs, and our basketball coach was a guy named Bob Williams, who, uh, you know, the two Bobs, as I called them, basically from the day I contacted both of them, treated me like I was part of the team. And, and that really, really helped because you can get – a coach who, you know, they don't want to do the interview. They don't really think you belong. You're just kind of more of a nuisance. These guys looked at me as an opportunity to get support for their programs. And they also knew that this is something I love doing. And I took it seriously. It wasn't just, Hey, I'm just going to give this a shot. And, you know, I won't, I won't really care too much if it sounds good or not. I, I wanted them to sound great. I wanted them to, to be iconic, so to speak amongst our listeners. And I didn't even understand everything at first. You know, I, at Davis, it was really a unique situation where it's, you know, 12 miles West of Sacramento. And so there was the station that carried the Sacramento Kings actually uh, put UC Davis football on commercial. And so I was doing it at first on the student station while the guy that was doing it on the commercial station, we were both doing the games and he had aspirations of, of going on as well to a, you know, to a, to a professional career. Unfortunately for him, he chose to do something else. He, he found a good business uh, uh, to get into and has really done well with that. But he was very talented. And the thing that helped him along was he was incredibly well prepared. And so when I first got in the business, I didn't have a, a, a real mentor or anybody to show me what I needed to do. So after a couple of games, I saw his game charts and notes. And I said, hey, would you mind if I you know, had a, a blank copy of those forms you have. And, you know, I, I, I'll never forget this moment. It's where I knew it's, it, this is what I wanted to do. 
you know, the, the commercial station was in the, the comfy press box. The student station was in the rickety old one that had been used for years before they redid the other one. And our athletic director, our assistant athletic director, came up to me in the second quarter, and he goes, hey, I need to talk to you at halftime. And I said, okay. And I didn't know what was going on. You know, that's, that's one of those moments where when you're a kid, you're going, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Um, and so at halftime, we had a, a guy back in the studio, thankfully, or my color commentator and sideline reporter would host halftime and just give me a chance to, to take a break. So he pulled me aside. He goes, Hey, listen, uh, I don't know what you're doing tonight. And I just was like, Oh gosh, here it comes. Like, what did I say? And he goes, but literally like all the people in our, all of our diehard fans are turning and listening to you. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, they're saying like you may be the best college broadcaster they've ever heard. And I went, okay, well, you know, that's very nice. of him. it didn't hurt that we were, you know, demolishing the team we were playing. So we sounded pretty good no matter what, but it, it really, he's like, I don't know what you, what switch you flipped, but you've turned a corner and he listened the next week when we were on the road and he's like, you know, you need to, you need to chase this down. You need to go after this. And so I, you know, that confidence from him gave me the confidence to, to think, Hey, maybe I can do this. And it's, you know, it's not an easy business as you know, it's, it's one that's very, very subjective. And I was told no many, many times before I was told yes. And it's, it's things, man. It's things when you've got a, a dream and a, a job opens up that you think you're perfect for and that you think there's no way anybody could do this better than I could, or at least, you know, on the same level. Um, I should be there with a, a couple other guys. I just need an opportunity to show people I can do it. And it's just not coming. And, you know, I tell young guys that, that I have an opportunity to talk to on a regular basis. Hey, don't get down on yourself because someone tells you no. You know, I wasn't afraid to put my tape and resume out there to any level. I mean, I, I had no business applying for a job in Dallas as a midday talk show host right out of college. But I did anyway. And the guy's like, look, man. Because I think you've got a lot of talent, but you need you need some polishing, and I can't put you on the air in the fifth biggest market in the country. But I admire that you <laughs> send this to me and, and get on me to like give you an answer. And he goes, but you know, keep in touch. And I, you know, I was told by a guy in, that was hiring for the Seahawks at the time, and they were looking at. I, I really thought my career was going to go to the NFL, and they had narrowed their search down to three guys. I somehow knew somebody that knew him gave him a call and he goes, Hey, I'm down to three, send it to me. I'll see if you're, I can put you in the mix, but we're pretty set on these three guys. So this and that, and he got it. And he said, listen, I was blown away. I think it's a level work. He goes, but I need an A plus. I've got three guys that have more experience, but don't stop doing this. Like give yourself two more years. And he goes, and I have no doubt that you'll be somewhere in the professional ranks. And, and those, those things help. Because there were plenty of doors slammed in my face, guys that said, no, not good enough. You know, I, I will never forget not even hearing back from San Jose State University, which there were a couple factors involved. And I knew a guy in that office and he said, listen, they liked you, but they were just going to go someone more local that, that, that people in San Jose knew. And I said, yeah, that makes sense. And now it's, it's such a different game because it, it's really very uh, much – I don't know how to say it. It, it. it basically stays in the family, so to speak. Um, it's very, you know, there's a lot of nepotism. And so, you know, if you have someone doing their pre-half and post work, 
um, you know, if the job opens up, more than likely they're going to get an opportunity at it. Hmm. Uh, that happened with the Chicago Bears years ago, and, and Jeff Joniak, who's their radio voice, has been doing it ever since. And I, I went after that job, and Jeff, although I had more experience in terms of game calls at the time, Jeff had a relationship with the broadcast team, and that matters. That does matter. You know, if, if I were to ever step down, I would fully expect that either our TV sideline guy or, or our, our halftime, you know, our pre-half and post guy would have the inside track because they know everybody that we, you know, that we work with. But you never know. So it's always one of these things where, you know, you you never know when your opportunity is going to come, and, and that happened to me a little bit too. Um, you got to put yourself in a place where you can be in the right place at the right time. And you got to have some luck. Some of it, uh, seems like it's a rough time, but maybe it's a blessing in disguise. And, you know, my, my story is one that I was just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And unfortunately a, a very good friend of mine passed away in the middle of one of our seasons and the job opened up. And, um, thankfully they gave me an opportunity and, and, and never took it back. I, I couldn't have, taking the job though had his wife not said hey look you know he's you're the guy he would have wanted to take over for him so make him proud and that was you know that's a hard way to get your dream job yes yeah. you know when a friend passes away you know all of a sudden you're thrust into to the the opportunity of a lifetime but you know you, you never wanted it that way so um but again it, it just goes back to put yourself in a position where good things can happen and you never know I do want to come back and ask you about Don a little bit, um, but if I can backtrack uh, just a, a little bit sure. even further, uh, you talked about getting told no uh, multiple times, and, and you, you yeah. know, nevertheless, you persist. Um, how did getting told no at any number of points in your career maybe make you better? Uh, what types of things did you take, or what did people tell you when they said no because that you were able to apply and try to, to improve for the next time until you got a yes? Well, you know, it's it, it's funny because some guys will give you the exact reasons why they think you should not get the job. Uh, they'll say, "Hey, look, you're you're too fast on this, or you're not clear enough on this, or whatever it may be." You know, um, other guys will just say, "No, don't bother me. I'm not interested." Blah blah blah. You know, and that's fine. That's everybody's prerogative. Anytime, you know, I I have a lot of young guys will send, "Hey, do you mind listening to a tape?" I'm like, Absolutely not, because somebody did that for me and said, listen, here's what I would do. And, you know, if I was hiring, this is what I'm looking for. And I've always tried to call the games in terms of, you know, what I do on the radio of what I would want to hear. And now maybe that's a little selfish, but I feel like as a sports fan, I kind of have a, a pulse, uh, you know, a, an idea of what will make the game sound interesting to, to other sports fans. So, um, you know, I was just told like, Hey, you know, make sure you, you know, don't go too fast. You know, don't try to squeeze everything in, slow it down a little bit. Um, don't be afraid to just take a breath and use your color guy. I thought football, in all honesty, was probably the easiest to call simply because after every play, you've got a break. You know, now <laughs> offenses move a lot faster than they used to. When everybody used to huddle up, get set. Now it's a little bit different, but I, I was really on the same page with my color guy for football. So we, we would have a lot of fun together. And then basketball, you know, at the time there at Davis, it was a one man show. So I did it by myself. Thankfully, my bosses in Memphis believe that there should be two on the broadcast. So I have a color commentator and it can, it can help, but it's also, there's times where you can't, they can't squeeze a word in edgewise. 
and, you know, you're playing Golden State or Houston, they're moving at 100 miles an hour. You could, you take a shot and you want the guy to analyze it, but before you know it, here comes Chris Paul or James Harden or Steph Curry or LeBron James back the other way, and you got to call that. Mm. So what I was basically told, and, and when I got told no, is like, hey, you know, you got to get a feel for the flow of the game, and that comes with experience. You know, as I, I, I've told a lot of people that have asked me over the years, how do I get into this? I said, we got to go to a school that at least has a radio station. You don't have to take broadcasting classes per se, but you've got to get on the air yeah. one way or the other. And you've got to get game experience that, you know, is more valuable than any class or, or lecture you can go to, you know, calling the game is, is the big deal. And so, um, you know, that's, and, and the great thing about today's technology is you can do games for any school. You know, if they have a website and just about every high school I've heard of in America does, you can do a game for them. You can do, um, you know, you can call a game into their website. You can call it onto, you know, uh, a podcast, whatever it may be. And that's, that's the great thing about technology. That wasn't around when I was, when I was coming up. I went to a sportscasters camp in LA from a guy named Roy Engelbrecht. And the the famous thing Roy would always say is, you may end up in Silver City, New Mexico. And I was like, well, I hope not, because I don't know where Silver City, New Mexico is. And I imagine it's a fine place to live, but I would much rather end up in, I don't know, Denver, uh, Orlando, you know, any team, any city with multiple sports teams or an NBA team, whatever it may be. So, um, you know, again, it's, it's six, you know, it's all in the eye of the beholder. And I, I was very, very fortunate be told yes here um you know after i finished out the season when don passed um but even then you know i was told hey we, we're gonna see what's out there just because you know as much as we like you we, we owe it to ourselves to, to see if there's anybody else out there that that might be there and that was a you know that was a tough time uh, that was a hard summer to know that they were looking at potentially some other guys and you know you never know uh, eddie Doucette was a longtime voice of the bucks had a relationship with Hubie Brown. And even though he had retired, Eddie wanted to get back in the game. He missed it. And Hubie went in and and pitched for Eddie to get the job. And my boss thankfully said, hey, look, I think Eddie's terrific, but what does Eddie have in him? One, two years, and then we're going to be right back in the same system. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to stay with the kid that's with us. And and thankfully, Hubie liked me. So Hubie was like, oh, okay, you know, great. He's good. And so, um, you know, that, that meant a lot too. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, when, when you get told no, and I, listen, I was told no the first year of the opening here in Memphis. I, I, they switched radio stations, created a position for me to come with them, and I knew that our television guy who's now in Toronto, his name's Matt Devlin, was leaving, and they were going to switch Don Poyer, who had been with the team since day one, from radio to TV. So I knew the radio job was open. Um, and I, when they said, Hey, look, we want you to come with us. And I said, well, what about the play-by-play job? And they said, we just don't think you're quite ready. And I had, you know, out of my own pocket, had an engineer set up a broadcast spot during Grizzlies games, just did them into a mini disc just to keep polished and fresh and get better. And my boss said flat out, he says, you'll be there very soon, but you know, you're 32 years old. And we, we think that you still have some things to learn about this business, both on, you know, on air and off. I said, okay, that's you know not what I wanted to hear, but I'm fine with it. And a lot of guys at that point might go, screw this, I'm out of here. You know, I'm not I'm not going to stick around if you're not going to give me a promotion. 
Well, I, you know, I also didn't know we were hiring Pete Pranica, who had been on the television call for the Portland Trailblazers for multiple years and, and had more experience than I did. And Pete was about to, he apparently was very close to getting a, a job in San Antonio and they decided to go with Dick Stockton at the last minute and it kind of left him holding the bag and there he was. So our guys grabbed him and he's now been our TV voice since the 0405 or season. You know, it was started radio and then when Don passed away, he switched over and I slid in and, you know, we're both proud of the fact that we've worked alongside one another as, as you know, one of the longer running tandems in the league, you know, cause guys switch guys, retire guys, go do new things. You know, we've been both, you know, man in the, the broadcast and that, neither one of us ever missed a game, you know, 13 seasons now. So it's, it, it's, it's a neat relationship. And, you know, again, like you like you asked, and it's a long answer to your, your, your very good question, which was, you know, how did you get better? I just, I, I think it just comes naturally too. You know, I just kept doing what I knew to work. And when something didn't work, you know, we just, you move on from it. Uh, it's, it's a bizarre deal. Like when I, I've got, you know, everybody has their catchphrase and I had friends of mine saying, you need a catchphrase, you need a hook. And I just said, I, you know, I don't want it to be anything corny or silly or whatever. And, you know, you've got guys, I think it's the, hockey voice of the lightning uses movie quotes for a goal, which is great. Yeah. And it, they're hilarious. And it's, it's really well done. Um, and that's his thing. That's his shtick. And that's, that works for him. For me, I don't know where we came up with it, but just one day I said, well, what if we said, ring it up and put three on the board when we hit a three and let's see how it sounds. And we did it. And someone goes, well, that sounds actually, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty solid. It comes, it gets to the point. It, it, it lets the listener know what just happened. So, yeah, stick with that. And now, you know, it's you walk around town and I see someone with a T-shirt on it because a, a local clothing company said, hey, would you mind if we made T-shirts with that slogan? And I said, would I mind? I think it would be the coolest thing ever. And, you know, I don't have a trademark on it or anything. I said, go ahead. How many did and you buy? I, none. <laughs> you know, none. I, I actually I actually ran into someone who worked there and I said, well, I got to get one of those. She goes, yeah, we don't have any more. We sold them all. And I was like, well, that's good. I guess. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a neat thing and it's flattering because it lets me know, you know, people uh, care. And that's the great thing about Memphis is that people do care about this team. And, and it's, it's a very family like atmosphere with everybody, you know, kind of feeling like we've got a chip on our shoulder that everybody's out to get us, which really is, 100% accurate, but, you know, um, it's a good way to, you know, to, to band together as a, as a small market team. Um, how much Don Poyer is in you? Just as a – oh, I mean, you can take that any way you want. Yeah, no, a lot. Um, a lot. He, uh, he was the ultimate professional. He really was. He, he had his notebook. He had his number two pencil. He had his reads. You know, he would get there for a seven o'clock game. He'd be at the arena by four o'clock, you know, sitting at his spot. Um, and he just, he understood like what he understood what he got to do, um, you know, was a blessing. And he, uh, he treated every day like it was a gift and, you know, loved his wife, um, you know, happened to be a second wife, but these two were, you know, they were made for each other and, we'd always give Don a hard time because you'd get on the bus and I didn't travel every game with the team at that time. We, we've kind of since switched that, 
which it would have been fun to travel with him because the trips I did take, he, he would always say, boy, I wish you would travel more. It's always fun to have you around. But it was hilarious. We'd get on the bus, and his, his wife's name was Barb. Barb, we're on the bus. Barb, we're at the plane. And I'm like, man, how many times are you going to call her in the next 30 minutes? <laughs> but that's how they were. And he and I and Barb and his wife and our, our trainer at the time, who's now also up in Toronto, Scotty McCullough, uh, we would spend the summers about two, three days a week playing golf together. And just the things he would teach me, you know, away from the game and every year, you know, this is a guy that knows I want what he has. I want to do what he's doing. I don't want to take it away from him, but that's where I want to get to. And a lot of guys will take that as a threat. He took it as an opportunity to mentor. And when he did, it, it changed me because he would listen to my tapes and he would tell me at the end of every year he's like hey look we're, we're not going to have you much longer <laughs> like you're too good and, and when something opens up you know you're going to get it and your your dreams are going to you're going to get there he goes but you know never forget that once you do there's still work to be done and that's the thing he knew there's no perfect call there's no game out there where you just go okay I got it I don't I can't improve anymore tonight was it and I'm, I've mastered this craft that's the thing about broadcasting is you never truly master it because every game is different and every game presents a new story. So he really taught me that. Um, he had quirky sayings, but they were all his. And, you know, the, the saying that lived forever here is it was a preseason game of all things. And the team really did an interesting deal when they first moved here. They scheduled their first four preseason games at home and they played them to win. I mean, they these other teams are throwing out guys that are probably – you know, in the history books more so as, as, you know, doing something else with their career rather than playing basketball. But we're playing our starting five, like 30 minutes. Now, when we got on the road, we, we played all the young guys and let them, you know, try to work it out. And Jason Williams hit a fadeaway three-point shot in the corner after being down by like 12 to tie the game um, on this big run. And he said, only in the movies and in Memphis. And it just stuck. And it was just, it was so eye-opening when I first got there and heard him for the first time. And I, you know, I had listened to Gary Gerald in Sacramento. He's a true pro and, and still on the call. And I knew how good Gary was. And I, I, I really heard how good Don was. And I went, wow, I've, I've got a lot of work to do. And so um, being able to listen to him night in, night out, and being able to talk to him about different things, you know, not just, not just basketball, but about how to handle the travel, how to handle having a family and you know he knew that that year that he passed away that now my ex-wife and I were going through some really tough stuff and, and it, it, we didn't make it through it um, but he knew that I had a child and, and he tried to explain to me hey look no matter what happens with that make sure your daughter always knows that you know you're doing this for them because you love it but because it's a career that can provide for them he had to be away from his girls um, he had to be uh, you know, on in Memphis when they were in Washington. So it's one of those things where, um, you know, you just, you never can, you never can put a, a price tag or uh, enough of a thank you on someone that gives you everything they've got to, to make you better. Hmm. What do, uh, there was a, there was an article in Memphis magazine where you said he taught you how to follow the team you're covering. Um, what do you mean yeah. by that? Well, he, what he always believed was we were, we were all in it together. We were, we were a group 
and a family. And so he wanted to know like what guys liked off the court, like what, what their interests were, um, what their journey to the NBA was. And so you follow them, you know, you, you don't just want to get out there and go, Hey, great. I'm the voice of the Grizzlies and your fans to relate to them. The tighter the bond becomes, you know, people raised an eyebrow when we signed, when we signed Mike Conley to that 30 plus million dollar deal a year, everybody went, wow, for a guy that's never made an all-star team. And what I explained to people was, Hey, look, I get it. I get looking at the numbers going, no way this guy's worth 30 million a year to us. He was. And proof of that is this year for us. Mm. We're 18 and, you know, 18 and 38 at the all-star break. And all because Mike Conley on November 11th had to shut it down and hasn't played since. And that changed our whole complexion. So, you know, for people to not understand, you know, what, what he meant to us, we have been so lucky to have Mike because Mike's very open. So when we talk to Mike, we talk about things other than basketball. We talk about his charity work. We talk about how he's grown from, you know, a 19, 20 year old rookie to a father of now, you know, one and one on the way and went from a kid to a grown man and how the work ethic was put in. And his dad was an Olympian and how that influenced him. And then you've got Mark Gasol's story, who was, you know, when we first got here, this chubby seven foot kid that came around because his brother was in the NBA and we all went, wow, one brother's tall and lean, one brother is, you know, squatty. So, um, you know, it, 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 those things, those things matter. They connect their team. You're not just, you're, you know, you're not just calling the games. You're, um, you're, you're not just, you know, watching 48 minutes of basketball. You're, you're trying to get them to connect to those people as well. Some guys, it's easier. And some guys, it's not. Some guys are immensely private. Some guys are, you know, don't like talking to the media. Other guys just don't have much to say. You know, we've got players that I, I've tried to engage them. I've tried to talk to them, but it's just not their thing. And you respect that, too. You can be friendly with them. But you find out another way. So, you know, whenever it's, it's tougher in college because guys are in and out. Like, if you're the radio voice for Duke, you're going to have Marvin Bagley for a year. You know, you get to know him as best you can, but you're probably not going to really connect with Marvin Bagley. Now, if you're the radio voice at, say, Wichita State or, you know, Cincinnati or places where there's not a lot of one-and-done kids, you can get to know guys over four years. In the NBA, that's kind of the same thing. You know you have your rookies and first-round draft picks probably for two to three years, but it is still a business. So you can have a great relationship with a guy. I got along great with James Ennis. And lo and behold, one day we traded him, and James Dennis was gone. And then you run into him again down the road when you play the team they're on now, and you, you say hi, but it's, it's not the same as seeing him in your team hotel or walking by him on to him after a game, running into him uh, at a restaurant. So, you know, it's, it's, it's connecting on a greater level. How much do you still listen back to yourself now? I know you talked about, you know, Pete saying there is no perfect call ever. Uh, how often do you get a chance to kind of listen back? And, and even now at this point in your career, what do you listen back for? Um, you know, I, I don't as much as I used to. I, I don't know why. I, I probably need to go back to doing that. I try to hear where I where it didn't flow. I'm, I'm listening. If I listen back to my work 
you know, it's different now because everything's so digital. I have to have it put into a computer sent to me. And I, I, I probably should listen to, I think you should listen to about a quarter after each game. Uh, Lee Hamilton used to do that all the time. He, unfortunately, he said some things that got him removed from doing play-by-play in Minnesota after doing a long stint with the Chargers, but very, very talented play-by-play guy. He would go back and listen to the whole game uh, and take notes. I, he, unfortunately, you don't always have time to do that. Mm. I, I need to be better about that part, but if I'm listening back at my to my work when I do, I, I, I try to listen with my boss and we try to say, okay, hey, maybe not say that. I, what I was listening for were points where maybe I let my love of the team come too much through. You know what I mean? Not not being fair, like, you know, killing a referee because he called a call against your team. When in reality, maybe it's the right call. Or, you know, going after a guy on the other team for something and you just you kind of get hyped and you kind of get angry and whatever it may be. So, um, you know, it, 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 it becomes – you know, a, a, a thing where you have to you have to put yourself under the microscope, where you have to be very honest with yourself. So, you listen back with your boss. Yeah, uh, Scott Zachary is my boss, uh, the new director of broadcasting. My longtime boss, Randy Stevens, went on to uh, to be the executive producer at Fox Sports Southeast, which was a great opportunity for him. And so, Scott and I will sit down every now and then, and we'll listen and I. I value his opinion. You know, Scott's been around the, the broadcasting business, you know, 10 years longer than I have. And so he's going on year 30, I'm going on year 20. And so we talk a lot and I'm like, hey, tell me where, if you were listening to this and I was sending you this tape, where, where it's good and where it needs work. And I said, and, and don't pull punches. Like if something sucks, tell me it sucks. I, I, I think that's the biggest misnomer that that people have, you know, is, you know, that you can't be honest with someone. You're going to hurt somebody's feelings. Man, hurt my feelings. Tell me it's not good. I, I, I welcome that from my listeners. You know, I try to be very interactive with people that take the time to either listen to my talk show or the game. When they send a Twitter message, I'm like, don't pull punches. Like, do it constructively. Don't, you know, don't curse it. <laughs> Call me names and say I'm a horrible human being. But, um, you know, it's, um, it, it's one of those things where I, you know, I, I want to hear what's not working. I want someone to tell me what's not working and that's the thing. So, you know, it's, it's something you have to do with yourself that, you know, you know, if you don't be honest with yourself, you can't get better. Actually, I, I kind of like that you've got that ability to, to sit down with a, a boss like that and get that kind of feedback on a, on a regular basis yeah. if you want it, which is something that... It's great. Yeah. Um, I'll let you go on this... I'm lucky. I'll let you go on this note uh, in a, in a pseudo-non-broadcasting-related question, uh, but I, I, I know I saw that kind of coming up through everything, to make ends meet, you have bartended, valet parked, you dealt blackjack, and you were a jet ski instructor. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, I spent a summer in Lake Tahoe. Uh, I, I got hired. It was it, it was really just due to the fact that our school at UC Davis, because we were a quarter system, didn't go back to fall classes until the end of September. So a lot of the Lake Tahoe-based casinos like hiring students for the summer because they really don't get busy until 
right after the middle of June. Now, you're not there for Memorial Day, but they start their summer dealing school. You know, we get out of school, say, June 14th. Dealing, so that's a Friday. Dealing school starts June 17th. And so I got out of school. I packed up my car. I headed up to Lake Tahoe where I had some friends that had stayed for a year. And basically, they, you know, put you through two weeks of dealing school. But what I realized was, hey, it's not quite as lucrative as I thought it was going to be. It was a slow summer, 96. The Olympics were going on. Uh, that was when a lot of the casinos locally were being built. Uh, you know, they had the, the casinos for Indian reservations. And so people weren't going up to Tahoe as much. And so I just happened to know somebody that knew the guy that owned the jet ski shop. And I said, well, I've, I've always liked to ride and I've always enjoyed it. And he said, well, I need a guy during the day. I need another, they call them water dogs, which is the, the term for the instructor. And, you know, when you're talking about instructing, it's not like we gave private lessons unless people wanted us to. And that was fun too. But, you know, I could, I could go out and do a few tricks here or there and know how to know how to maneuver a ski through a, a good little slalom thing. But, you know, it's more wave runner based. And so my, my instruction really basically usually consisted of here's your throttle. Don't forget when you let go of the throttle, you can't steer the ski. So if you're going to, if you're going to hit somebody something, you know, try to steer it, you know, like, like keep your thumb on the throttle, but very lightly and then you'll move, but just do yourself a favor and try not to hit anything. And, don't think, you know, always think that everything that you see in the in the distance is 20 feet closer than it actually is. And so we had a lot of fun with it. And uh, I'll tell you what, there's nothing more cold than jumping into Lake Tahoe at 730 in the morning, diving down to unlock the ski, which is chained to the bottom of the lake, mm. you know, about three feet, four feet deep, and then having to get on the ski and take it for a lap to get the gas running through the motor. And you are soaking wet, and it's about 45, 50 degrees, and that water's cold. And so uh, that was always an eye-opener, but I loved it. You know, I would get off work from my night shift at the casinos around, you know, 3, 4, or 5 o'clock in the morning. I'd go home, I'd take a nap. I'd go over to the resort and start work at usually until, they, you know, when the other group of guys left for college, a couple of them went to the semester-based schools in the area. Um, I was going in at noon, but when they left, I had to go in at 8 a.m. So I'd go work from 8 to 4 and then go home and take another nap and then get back to the casino at 9. And I, it was as much fun as I've ever had doing anything outside of doing what I do now. And, boy, there was part of me that wanted to just be a water dog the rest of my life. But uh, these, things called, these things called bills and, and families cost money. So it, it wasn't exactly the most lucrative job, but, boy, it sure was fun. See, I love the perspective of that. Uh, I, I never, I've never had one of those jobs that is just out there, so to speak, uh, on the way up. So I, yeah. I, I relish I did, I did those stories. You know, I did everything I could. You know, I did everything I could. I valet parked a, a few times when I was in college. I, I learned how to bartend. I was a substitute teacher and enjoyed that immensely, except for, you know, when you see kids making mistakes and, and you're not their parent, it was really hard because I wanted, and they were so much smarter than they knew, and they were making so many silly mistakes that you could see they were heading right for it. That, but you just had to say, okay, hey, look, you're, you're 17, 18 years old. I was doing a lot of high school. I'm like, you're, you're old enough to make your own decisions. You're old enough to make your own mistakes. You're old enough to make your own way. And so that was tough. But I, I, I always wanted the flexibility of being able to get a phone call and say, hey, can you go to a game and 
to five and do that. And so bartending, substitute teaching, mortgage industry, you know, those things were things where I could say, hey, I'm going to be gone tomorrow, but I can work on my stuff from away. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's a hard business. You know, radio and television is very, very difficult when you're first starting out to make ends meet. you got to find some other sources of income, and you got to be willing to do things, you know, maybe somebody isn't willing to do. Take it, a job that, that, that other guys aren't willing to take, but if it helps pay the bills, great. You know, if you're, if you're willing to, to call a game for a pizza one night, awesome, but it's going to get you more experience. And believe me, I've done that. You know, I called games on cable access back in the day when, you know, cities would broadcast their rec league championship, but they say, hey, we can't really pay you, but if we buy you dinner, would you do it? And yeah, I'll absolutely, I'll come. Basketball you'll ever see, but it certainly was a lot of fun. If people want to uh, if people want to find you on social media or, or say hey that way uh, how do they uh, how do they track you down on Twitter and the like? It's it, it's very very creative. It's just at Eric Hasselton. Oh, so I went out on a limb with that one and, <laughs> and tried to find a, a really uh, really innovative name. I, I just thought it was easy, and I, I'm a big believer in this too. When you're doing radio, use your name. Your name is powerful. Your name is going to resonate with people. You know, you can have a a show called the sports bar, but if someone tunes in and you say, Hey, you're listening to the sports bar and they're just driving through, they don't know your name. If they say, Hey, I'm listening, you're listening to the Eric Hasseltine show. They know that you're probably Eric Hasseltine. And I think that that's one of the lessons I've learned over the years that I am a big believer in. Make sure your name is heard. Make sure your name resonates with people that are taking time to listen to your work. And so same thing with Twitter, same thing with, um, any social media, you know, on Facebook, Instagram, it's a different world now. You know, I'm 45 years old. If I didn't work in this business, I probably wouldn't have an Instagram account or a, a Twitter account. I certainly would have Facebook to connect with old friends, but I certainly wouldn't have 5,000 friends on there because I don't know 5,000 people. <laughs> but when people know your name and they feel like they know you from being on the radio and I try to make all of my stuff very personal. You know, I, I let people know, hey, I have two kids. I'm a proud father. Um, I'm not always around the way I would like to be with them. I have to balance a career and being a dad and, you know, being in a position where people, you know, don't get the opportunities that I've gotten, but there are drawbacks to it too. You know, there's going to be times where my son – uh, and even my daughter. My daughter is is a softball player and a soccer player, and she's about to start high school. And unfortunately, you know, she lives in California, so I don't get to see many of her games. My son lives here. I, I'm not going to get to see some of his basketball games when he plays because we could be on a road trip. And that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. But, you know, you stay connected through things like social media, and I always welcome it. Like, any questions, anything people ever want to say or, or have a, a – a, question about anything about our team about the business yeah man hit me up I, I'll, I'll get back to you as soon as I can I, I love interacting with fans who basically let you know uh, whether they are appreciative of your work or not and whenever someone's not I say all right tell me how we can do it better tell me what you think can be better about the show or about the broadcast and we'll work on it and, and you got to be able to do that Eric Hasseltine our guest of the Memphis Grizzlies here on episode 89 of play-by-play cast you know <laughs> I kind of said it with astonishment when I asked the question, and I, I didn't necessarily mean it that way. But when I said, you listen back with your boss, it's, it's actually kind of cool. Uh, and something that, you know, we talk about feedback systems 
a lot on this podcast, and I don't know how many, but like 50 of the 89 episodes that we've had, uh, we've talked about where you get your feedback from. And, you know, I think it's interesting that you've got somebody kind of built in there that you can get that that from on a fairly regular basis. And, you know, we had Steve Martin on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he is their director of broadcasting, and I don't know the full structure of the Hornets, but if there is somebody above him that is like that, it's kind of nice for Eric Hasseltine. And I don't know the exact structure of every NBA team uh, who was set up in what way, but it, but it's kind of nice for Eric that he's got that guy um, above him as a director of broadcasting with an NBA franchise that he can sit down and have those conversations with um, more so than, you know, reaching out to external mentors that mean a lot to all of us, but to have that that almost mentor built in and around you on a daily basis. I thought was really cool and um it just perked my ears up when uh, he said, "Hey, like I, I walk into my boss's office and we sit down and we listen to games together, or or go over or go over games and what we thought uh, about how things were, uh, how things sounded, and uh, and how they can get better from there." Um, so I thought that was neat. Uh, Eric Hasseltine on Twitter, he mentioned it there. His handle uh, for those that are spellingly challenged: E R I C H A S S E L T I N E at Eric Hasseltine. You can find him on Twitter as well, and you can find his talk show on 92.9 ESPN in Memphis. We didn't really talk about that a lot, uh, but Eric Hasseltine does does do a talk show also. So uh, <laughs> something else uh, that I, I guess we'll save for, for, for another day in time with uh, with Eric Hasseltine. Leading in, uh, he leads into the Gary Parrish show, uh, who is actually, I believe, from Memphis as well. That might be a local show. Uh, Gary Parrish is a national name, but without knowing a whole lot about the Memphis radio scene, um, that is, uh, yeah, no, that's a, that's a local show. It looks like that's a local show. It looks like I did not know that I've learned something about the Memphis sports radio scene today. Uh, many thanks though to Eric Castletine for taking the time out and, uh, and chatting with us here during the all-star break, by the way, as well. So he had time out from basketball and, uh, decided to spend it talking about basketball and broadcasting, uh, here on play by play cast. Um, next week is John Rook, really good conversation with the public address voice of the New England Patriots and the radio voice of the Providence Friars and 90,000 other things. And, uh, we literally will start next week's episode by, by me just asking John Rook what he does and, and he will, he will give us the laundry list, but he is a guy that wears many hats and has worn many hats throughout his entire broadcasting career. Fun conversation, uh, with John Rook, um, of New England, I guess we could say, of New England sports broadcasting coming up next week for episode 90 here on PXPCast. Again, you can find us on Twitter at PXPCast. I'm at Joel Godet. And hey, if you've gotten this far on the podcast and you're still listening to my ramblings in the close, throw us a rating or review on iTunes. Just a couple of stars or uh, a couple of comments, whatever uh, comes to mind with... uh, how this program resonates with you uh, would always very much appreciate it. But they are playing the go-home music, which is our cue to get up on out of here. Until next week, we're seven days off. This is Play by Playcast, and we're out.